Praise God. Well, as you know, on Wednesday nights, we often, uh, we often go through uh, a book in the Bible, a letter, an epistle. Uh, what we're going to do in the next foreseeable future on Wednesday nights is we're going to uh, pick up a story that's told throughout the scripture, and it's not just told because we need to know our history. It's the story of God's people journeying to the promised land. And we're going to go through that journey with them. Uh, we're going to, you know, start with uh, the very beginning where God promises a promised land. And then we're going to move with the Israelites as they journey from Egypt to the promised land. And, and you might think, well, we all know that story, and, and we do. But we're going to dig into it because, you know, in the New Testament, there's, there's just no other generation there's no other generation that is mentioned as much in the Bible as that generation. They are brought up over and over again. And throughout the New Testament, we are brought back to that group of Israelites journeying to the promised land. And there's a reason for it. Not only does God want to show them something about his promises, but he wants to show us something about obtaining, about not giving up, about having faith, about believing God enough that we're going to keep going when we don't feel like we should keep going. So we're going to dig into what they, uh, what they went through. We're going to see what they encountered. We're going to see some of the, the things that we can avoid and the things we can learn from. Uh, because the Apostle Paul said, all these things happen to them as an example for us. And even though we are in the new covenant with a new deal with God, we're on this side of the cross, he says we need to look at them because even, even, even as they were in the old covenant, they were partaking in some things which are new covenant principles. He, in fact, says the rock they drank from was Christ. Now, if you've got that fully figured out, you need to help me because that is confusing, but I kind of get it. And so when we're reading it, you're going to find out that there's a lot of New Testament truth. There is a lot of truth for us today as we travel through that journey with them. And so I want to start in Genesis with Abraham, and we're going to look at, at, at some of the things that God said to this man as he set out looking for the promised land. And we're going to go all the way to Genesis chapter 12. Of course, he wasn't called Abraham at this point. He's called Abram. Abram just means uh, exalted father. Abraham was what God changed it to, which means father of many. God changed his name later on in this story, but he starts out as Abram, as Abram, and we're going to read that together because I believe that as we read it, you're going to realize that Abraham wasn't some superhero. None of these people were, and I, I think you all know that, but sometimes we need to be reminded that they had to deal with some of the same issues you deal with. They had to deal with uh, some of the same doubts and the same fears and the same um, the same questions about whether I really heard from God or not. You know, how many of you saw the, the miniseries, The Bible, when that was on? A few of you, all right. You know, no television series or movie can fully capture the truth of God's Word. But, you know, I thought they did some things right, and I enjoyed watching it. You know, it's not, it's not where you need to get your doctrine from, but it was well done. And I think it was done by, by a group of people that wanted to get the Word out, as opposed to just making a good movie. And uh, one of the things I liked about it, and you might think I'm crazy for thinking this, but one of the things I liked about it was how when the patriarchs, men like Abraham or men like Moses, when they were hearing from God, when you watch it on TV in this miniseries, when these guys are hearing from God, you don't see God. 
And in fact, the way they did it, you know, you almost look at Abraham and go, you look like you look insane. Because here he is like looking up at the sky and kind of got a weird grin on his face. And, and if you were around him at the moment, you'd be like, what's wrong with you? What, what's going on with you? And, and I think that's a good thing because so many times we picture, now we know God appeared physically to Abraham at times, but there were other times where he just heard God's voice or Noah just heard God's voice. And we have to know that's the same way we hear God's voice. Sometimes it's so easy for us to say, Abraham, why didn't you obey God? Or, you know, David, why didn't you obey God? Or any of these guys, we say, why didn't you do what God said? But you have to remember, they, they struggled with the same doubts about it that you do. Was that me hearing from God? Did I hear right? Am I crazy for thinking I can hear from God? So Abram has to face some of those same issues. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 12, now, in, in the Hebrew way of telling this, you know, in our modern Western thought, we, we always journey chronologically, very linear. This came before this, came before this. Uh, but in fact, in, in the way of telling this story, in Genesis chapter 11, it tells us how Abram sets out with Lot and he begins to walk. And then in Genesis 12, it says, now the Lord said, and Abraham set out. So you, you might think that Abram just decided to take off, then God spoke to him. But when you put them both together, you find that the story goes like this. He didn't set out to go anywhere until God told him he had to leave. And this is the part we're picking up in. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and so shall you be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. That's where this story takes a twist for me. 75 years old. Now Abram, Abram lived to a good age, but he didn't live that much longer than you or I would probably live. I mean, it's not like he lived to 600 years old. I mean, he, he died at a pretty decent age. He lived a long life, but... He didn't live for 200 years or anything like that. I mean, the guy lived a human life. And we, we look at guy like, guys like Adam and Methuselah, and they lived really long lives. But Abram, Abraham lived a, a pretty normal life, an extended life. He'd be considered very old in our, in our uh, culture, in our society. But you still got to know, 75 is still old. 75 is no spring chicken. No offense to anybody here. I don't think anybody is. Well, yeah, never mind. We're going to move on. <laughs> but he's 75 years old. How many of you, how many of you at age 40 would say, let's just throw it all away and start over again? Anybody here feel like that's something you'd want to do? Some of you might have done that. I, I, can you imagine at 75, you've worked all your life. That's 75 years of, of building something. Not only is he 75 years of building something, he's building on something that was left for him. God is saying, leave your father's house. I mean, there's inheritance, there's land. It's not like today where you can just sell all your stuff and you've got it on, you just got it all on your bank card now and you can just withdraw cash wherever you go. I mean, a lot of what he owns is not just livestock, it's land. And he lives amongst other people that he knows, his relatives, his family. People in that day and age, there was a tight-knit community. You, I mean, this was your tribe. These were your people. 
And God tells him to leave at 75. And here's the, 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 the brilliant thing is that most of the time, you know, we expect God, I'll leave if you tell me exactly where I'm going and exactly what it looks like and exactly how it'll play out. But most of you know that that's not usually how God does it. It would be so much easier to leave. It would be so much easier to let go of this rope if I knew, if I had, if I already had my other hand wrapped around this rope. But the truth is, most of the time, you got to let go of this rope before you can grab onto this one. So Abram has to leave, and the Bible says in Hebrews 11, and we'll read that in a minute, but Abram has to leave his land not knowing where he's going at 75 years old. So let's just put ourselves in that position. 75 years old, leave everything. Take your cousin with you, or your nephew, I mean, Lot, and just go to a land you don't even know where it is. Just start walking. I've told you before how often I look at, at Philip's journey in the book of Acts and how he goes to Samaria and how he sees God move in a great way and how you guys know the story about how he catches that chariot with the Ethiopian in it and he, he ministers the gospel to him. And the, the Ethiopian says, hey, uh, excuse me, sir, I'm reading this passage in Isaiah. Who's this guy talking about? And, and, and Philip gets to go, well, he's talking about Jesus and this is, this is the gospel. And I often think, I used to think, how easy would it be to win the world to Jesus if everybody just already had their Bibles open and said, can you explain this to me? Tell me about this Jesus fellow. Like, that would be the easiest. But we often forget that in order to get there, what came before that was God saying to Philip, just start walking. Just start walking on this road. And the Bible actually goes out of its way to say in the book of Acts, this was a desert road. There's a long distance between the town he was supposed to start and the town God told him to walk towards. And he doesn't know where he's going. And it's a deserted road. It doesn't have little towns on the way. It doesn't have water. It, does, it might have bandits. It might have bad guys. And he's just supposed to start walking. We often look at the finished product and say, boy, I could do that. But we forget that to get there, you have to take that faith step where you're walking, not knowing where you're going. So 75-year-old Abram starts walking, takes all his stuff, sells what he can't bring, takes what he can, and he sets out. And then it says, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Marah. Now the Canaanite was in the land. And the Lord appeared to the Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing towards the Negev. So we're going to stop there, and I just want you once again. You may, you may have already grasped this, and you're tired of me going over it, but 75 years old, he leaves everything that's comfortable, everything he knows. And I want you to turn to Hebrews 11, and we're going to see what it says about that. Because this is the essence of faith. This is the essence of your life walking with God. God may not uproot you from Lloyd Minster, but there will be moments where he uproots you from where you're comfortable. 
whether that be comfortable, where you're comfortable spiritually, whether that be a way of thinking, whether that be a job, uh, uh, you know, where you are as far as your life. God wants us to be stretched. He wants us to grow. He wants us to move into promised things. And the only way to get from here to the promised land is to go through an uncomfortable period of just taking a first step out of what's comfortable, out of what you know. I want to remind you of something, that the, when the Israelites were going from Egypt to the promised land, you guys remember how many times they said, can we go back to Egypt? In fact, at one point, they were willing to kill Moses and then go back to Egypt. Just kill this guy. Let's throw rocks at his head, and then we'll go back to Egypt. There's one passage where they say, oh, the leeks and the garlic. Oh, the meat pots that we used to have. And yeah, but, but you remember you were slaves, right? In fact, the Bible says they were cruelly treated by the Egyptians, that the Egyptians beat them and treated them terribly. And they cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord heard their cry. That's Egypt. But you know, your memory is a beautiful thing. God created you in such a way that your brain can clean up and can patch up memories that cause you pain and memories that cause you hurt. Now, we know stuff still crops up and you can't just not deal with stuff. But, but you know, you ever, ever think about that one person in your life that you got in a dispute with and you couldn't get along with them and there was just hurt and there was anger? But after a while, you, you feel like, hey, I don't know what the big deal is. I don't know what we're fighting about. You're, you know, the Bible, not the Bible, my goodness. I almost said the Bible says time is a healer. The Bible does not say time is a healer. The Bible says Jesus is a healer, all right? But there is an old song that says time is a healer. That's not completely true, but you know why it says that is because we tend to forget how bad things were, That's right. right? We tend to forget that. So the, the Israelites are missing the garlic and the onions and the meat pots. I don't think they're missing the whip on their backs or the hard labor. Remember, Pharaoh, to get back at Moses for merely asking that the people could go, he, he increased their workload. He took away some of their materials so it would be harder to make bricks. These guys were already suffering to the point of crying out, and he made it even harder on them. But at a certain point, they want to go back. Now, we're about to read Hebrews 11, which many of you know is the Hall of Faith, the, the, the Faith Hall of Fame. This is, these are the people that we look at and we go, I want to be like that. But you remember how it starts, how it begins in fact, you know that the letter to the Hebrews is not broken up in chapters in the original letter. We put the chapters there. And just before he begins to talk about these people of faith, he says, we are not of those that shrink back, but of those that press forward to the salvation of the soul. We're not of those that shrink back. Because here's the challenge. God has set before us promises. He set before us promises to be obtained. Things he has for you, things he has for me, but they have to be obtained. God promised this land to Abram, but he had to leave to get there. God promised it to his descendants, but they had to go and take the land that was being given. And that's where the challenge is for us. In between here and there is how real are the promises of God? Are they real enough 
that you're willing to keep walking when everybody else wants to go back. You know, there's an old phrase that says, a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. You know what that, basically what it's saying is, hey, quit pining for those two birds in the bush. You got one in your hand, that's worth a lot more. Just, just be glad you got one in your hand. And that's probably a very wise statement, but it shouldn't apply to the promises of God. Because so many times it is so much easier for you to stay where you are, even if it's not where God told you to be. It's easier to stay where you are than to press forward into, a, into something you're not familiar with, to something you don't have yet, to something you can't see yet. That's the challenge. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It, it's seeing things that you can't see. It's believing that they're that real. And so are the promises of God. God gave the Israelites this land, and he said it's a land. He, in fact, in, in, in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, he says to them, he goes, guys, this is not like Egypt. He said, back in Egypt, you had to water the crops. You had to, you had to mess with the soil with your foot. He said, you had, you had the whole field. You had to treat it like a vegetable garden. What's his point? You had to work hard to make anything grow. But he says, once you get into the promised land, he says, oh, once you get there, you're stepping into my provision. The land, he says, it's flowing with milk and honey. He said, I caused the crops to grow. I'll give you rain in your season. If you will obey my commands, I'll give you rain when you need rain. I'll give you sun when you need sun. These things will just spring up in front of you. He paints a beautiful picture. And yet halfway between Egypt and the promised land, they're, they're pining not for the promised land, but for Egypt. Why? Because it's easier to stay with what you know than to press forward to the things you don't know yet. And as the people of God here right now in 2016, we have to, believe, we have to see the promises of God as so real to us that they're just as real as this present reality that we're comfortable in. It's easier to stay in maintenance mode. It's easier to stay in, in, in spiritual mediocrity and lukewarmness. It's easier to stay in that place, but it is not the place of blessing. It is not the place of promise. And we'd all go to the promised land if it was a quick transition. If we could step out of Egypt and instantly be in the promised land, we'd all be there. We'd all be there right now. If I could step out of where I'm comfortable and instantly be in all the things that God's promised, there would be no trouble doing that. We'd all do it. The part we struggle with is the set out, not knowing where we're going. Is the, is the going through a wilderness on the way to get there? Is the, is the crossing through the Red Sea? Is all of those things where we're learning to put our faith in God and not what we can see, feel, touch, hear, smell, taste, see, I named a few of those twice. <laughs> Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. He says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were pre prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain 
through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Stop for a minute and just think about that. God did not give Abraham all the details. He didn't even give him the point on the map. He just said, leave. And Abraham does. Think back to what we just read a few verses ago when he says, by faith we understand that the worlds were created, the things which are seen were created out of things that are not seen. Here's what you have to understand. Every tangible, real thing in your life that God has placed in front of you, Everything that someday you'll be able to stand and look around and see what God has done begins with things you can't see. Begins with you putting your faith in something you can't put your hands on. Begins with you putting your hope in a God that you can't fully see and you can't fully see what he's doing. There'll be a day when you can look around and say, look what the Lord has done. And you can point to the unbelieving, most unbelieving of all unbelievers, and you can say, look what the Lord has done, and they'll see it with their eyes. But what's seen with your eyes begins with the invisible. That's where God's at work. And until we can put such faith in his word above everything else, that if he says there's a land waiting for me, I'm going to just start walking. That's where it's uncomfortable. Abraham set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even out of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for those who say such things may Make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There's a lot in that. Because in that, we don't just see the physical promised land. We see that Abraham was looking forward. You know, Jesus stood in front of the Pharisees and said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. That's an amazing thought. That Abraham, 
got so close to God that he could see into what God was going to do. And he fully didn't understand who Jesus was. And he might not have seen it like we picture him seeing it, but, but he looked ahead by faith and knew that through him, all the world would be blessed, even the Gentiles. I want to stop and just let us reflect on that phrase that says, if they had been thinking about the country they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. We definitely saw that with the Israelites, didn't we? What are they missing? Garlic, onions, flesh pots, comfortable routine. Routine is not a bad thing. Godly discipline in your life is a good thing. Some of you get up in the morning and get your Bibles out like at 5 a.m. That's a good thing. Some of you eat the same kind of cereal every morning, and I think that's great as long as it's a healthy cereal. Good for you. You enjoy it. Routine's not all a bad thing, but it is when it takes the place of God's voice in our life. When tradition, routine, comfortability take the place of being led by the Spirit of God, that's where the problem is. Jesus said, in vain you worship me, teaching as doctrines the traditions of men. You know, traditions of men aren't altogether bad. I mean, it's by tradition that we had a service right now at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night. That, we've been doing that for a few years now. That's not a bad tradition. But if we heard the voice of God saying, move it, cut it off, stop doing Wednesday night services, and we said, no, we've always done it, then it is a bad thing. Or if we started going around to churches and say, if you're not having a Wednesday night 7 o'clock service, psh, I don't think you guys even are saved. I don't, think you can, I don't think you can go to heaven if you don't have a Wednesday night 7 o'clock service. If we're saying that, we are making our tradition equal with the Word of God. Tradition's not bad. It is bad when we put it on the same level as God, His voice, His leading. And here's what happens. As human beings, we want something we understand We want something we can get used to. We want something we can get comfortable with. We want something we can put boundaries on. We want something we can explain to our relatives when they ask us, what do you do? We want to be able to tell them something that they're kind of impressed with. Abraham, what kind of house do you live in? I live in a tent. You seem well off. Why don't you just live in a city? Why don't you just build a house? Well, because I'm looking for a city that you can't see. Why, Abraham, you sound crazy again. Like that time that you changed your name to father of many and you don't have any kids. Yeah, I guess I do. This This is our reality. You guys have already experienced this, I'm sure. You ran into somebody that's just said, don't you know with your abilities or with your intellect, you could do something far greater than what you're doing. Or you could do this or you could do that. And, 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 and while they may be right, it's not about what they think. It's about what God says. I remember I, 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 had, a, I had a man who, I, this was when I still worked at the Christian bookstore, but I was pastoring at the same time. And there was a guy who'd come in for coffee. And to be honest, I, I just think the guy came for the coffee. I don't think he wanted anything to do with any of the other stuff that was in the store. He just wanted his coffee, which was fine. So I'd serve this man coffee, and he'd get to talking to me. And at a certain point, he just took me on. I think he thought I was going to be his little project. 
right? There's a young man with potential. I'm going to groom him. And this guy was a successful businessman. He was a rich guy. And, and I didn't want to be groomed. I didn't need to be groomed. I, I mean, I was, there was people speaking into my life, and this guy was not my hero. He had a lot of money, but he wasn't my hero, okay? I had other people I was looking up to. But I have to be polite. I got to serve the guy coffee. I got to act like what he's saying is absolutely interesting because that's what you do in the service industry. You just serve somebody. You smile. You listen to what they have to say. This guy says, what are you going to do with your life? I said, well, I'm pastoring. Yeah, but you're kind of in flux, right? Like that's a temporary thing, right? Like you're just doing that. No, I'm really doing that. Wow, you could do this, you could do that. And I said, no, no, I'm called to do this. He said, you're too smart to be a pastor, young man. And I said, that's incredibly insulting. Um, <laughs> I don't know what kind of doorknob pastors you've known. <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with having a smart, uh, okay. But in his mind, like, you know, you needed something that would impress everybody. You needed something that sounded good to the world. And, and the, the thing is, if, you know, you just have to sit, make up your mind that, just as Paul said in Galatians, if I want to please people, I can't be a servant of God. Like, I have to choose that my, my number one goal in life is to do what he's called me to do. And so I have to view the promise that God's placed in front of me or, or promises in front of me. The Bible says, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. God promises things, but that doesn't automatically mean you'll receive them. By faith, by patience, we inherit the promises of God. And he says here that Abraham chooses to live in tents. If you read his story, he's a very rich man. The Bible says God gave him a lot of stuff. He had cattle. He had people working for him. He had a small army that actually bailed a couple of kings out of, out of trouble in a war. And yet, the, the guy lives in a tent as a nomad. And you might think, well, maybe he was just rugged and outdoorsy. But the scripture says that the real reason is that he was looking for something else. He could have lived in the city, but he chose rather to live in tents in the land of promise. Those are the choices we make. Do I stay where it's comfortable? Or do I set out not knowing where I'm going? And tonight, God may, you know, some, so many people hear this and assume that God is telling them to move somewhere. And maybe God is. But most of the time, it's not moving somewhere physically. Most of the time, it's, it's making that shift. Sometimes it's a spiritual shift in your life. I remember when I really pressed into the Lord as a young, really young guy, and I remember having the feeling like I had the whole house mapped out. Do you know what I mean? Like, I understood what I believed. I could explain it to him. I could debate it. I knew what I believed. I had it all mapped out. The house that I lived in, I figured it out. And then all of a sudden, there's a door that I haven't noticed before. And I look at the door saying, if I open that door, who knows what's behind it? <clears throat> Your first instinct, and what I'm talking about is, is a place where God's calling you deeper. Is, is, is God saying, I, I don't want you to be comfortable where you are. I have more. I have better. You need to press towards this. And I remember looking and saying, but God, if I went through that door, 
there's a whole other part of the house I've never explored. I'm way more comfortable knowing I, I know this spot. I, I want to stay in this spot. If I open that door, there's the unknown. But God is calling you to that unknown. I'm not talking about being weird and getting into some new age doctrine or something like that. But I am saying, while the grass is greener on the other side, it even though the grass is greener, and even though God paints the picture of the promised land, the idea of the promised land is wonderful. But in reality, we'd still, so many of us, get in between here and the promised land, and we long to go back to a place of slavery because at least when we were slaves, we knew where our meals were coming from. At least when we were slaves, we didn't have to wander around not knowing where we were going. Somebody told us what to do. Somebody told us when to eat. The food was there. None of this weird stuff falling from the sky. God has called you out of a place of predictability. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be dependable. I'm not saying you shouldn't be disciplined. These are all godly things. But will you be able to say, if there's anything in my life I've grown comfortable with, I'm willing to step away from it if the Lord calls me to. I'm willing to step into areas I'm not familiar with. I'm I'm willing to step into, into things in my life that I know God's calling me to. He's calling me to the promised land. And the promised land, as he describes it, is beautiful. But it takes work to get there. Am I willing to set out for that land looking for a city that no one can see? We're going to see how the Israelites stumbled on that point. How they wanted a God they could touch and see. You know, Moses goes up the mountain and goes to fellowship with God. And the Israelites look around and say, let's build an idol. And the reason they wanted to build an idol is not because somehow they thought that cows or calves were more powerful than Yahweh. The reason they wanted to build an idol is because we can't see God and now we can't see Moses. We need something we can see. And this is humanity's problem from the beginning. And you might think, wow, we're more sophisticated now. We're, we're evolved. We don't worship idols. Yes, we do. And people put so much faith in their job. They put so much faith in their investments. They put so much faith in the things they can touch. But what God is looking for is a group of people who see a city that no one else sees and start walking towards it. And your first step, you don't see the promised land. God calls you not knowing where you're going. And all he's asking for you to do tonight is not complete the journey. It's just to take the first few steps. You see, Abraham didn't get to the promised land in a day. The first thing he had to do, do you notice what God told him to do? Leave your father's house. First step, leave your father's house. Then I'll tell you, and then I'll show you where you're going. First step is to leave. If you're waiting on God to fully map it out before you'll step off the ledge, you'll be waiting for the rest of your life. I had people ask me before I got married, are you ready to get married? And I said, is anybody ready to get married? <laughs> like, is that a thing? I'm about as ready as I think I can be, but you guys know 
You step into marriage thinking you have it figured out until you have to be married. <laughs> then you realize, or get to be married. I mean, it's been wonderful, but you, you step into it thinking, I didn't know a thing. I, 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 did, I didn't know anything about this. It's the same thing with ministry. I, I don't think most people, I mean, there's a reason God doesn't tell you what ministry is going to be fully, what ministry is going to be like before you step into it, because nobody would ever step into it. Are you ready to be a parent? Sure, I'm ready to be a parent. You're as ready as you can be. The next step is just having the baby. Then that's when you become ready. I mean, you get stuff ready, don't you? You kind of, you read the books, you get the app on your phone. My baby is the size of a pea, you know, and you know that. Oh, and I, like, I thought I was an expert. Oh, it's so funny how much stuff I thought I could teach my wife about about uh, raising this young baby because I read the books until reality hits and there's the baby and you realize you know nothing and your baby doesn't follow a textbook. Moses hadn't been reading his part of the textbook. <laughs> so what do you do? You, you get as ready as you can be and then you just have the child. <laughs> you have the baby and the baby grows with you. And there's so much you learn in the process of raising the child. There's so much you learn in the process of being married. And it's like that with the things of God. There's a preparation stage. There's preparation for everything. We don't jump in it too soon, right? You jump in it too soon and we, we miss out on God's timing. But there is a time of preparation, but there's a time of stepping out. And I got to tell you, I have never met anybody that stepped out fully into the things of God and fully felt prepared, equipped, or qualified to do it. Everybody that I've talked to, that I know, said the first time I stepped out into what God had called me to do, I was out of my depth. I had no idea. I thought, how can I do this? And they put their trust in God. And so here's what I ask you tonight. You may not be 75. You may be past 75. But are we willing to take God's promise as more real than what we're experiencing right now and step out of what we've become comfortable with? Because if, he says here in Hebrews 11, if, he, if they had thought about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to go back. That's the challenge. You have to be thinking about the promise. You have to set your mind on the promises of God. Because if you go back and think, you know how easy it was back then? You know how easy it was? You will go back. You keep thinking about your old life back there longingly. You've forgotten how hard it was to follow the devil. You've forgotten how hard a life of sin is on you. Or you've forgotten, maybe let's just forget sin for a minute. Maybe just a life of mediocre Christianity. Just living it safe. We forgot the challenges. Our memory cleaned it up. And if you keep thinking about going back, you will go back. What do you need to think about? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these people see a city that no one else sees. They see a city, not because God drew them a picture, but because God spoke his word and said, this is what I want you to see. This is where I'm bringing you. And they took his word as just as real as what they could see with their physical eyes. Let's step out of what's comfortable. Let's move into the things of God. Let's be ready for the moment he says, I want you to take a step of faith. And then you say to God, sure, as long as you give me the plan, I'll do it. And he says, 
I'm not going to give you a plan. I'm just going to tell you the first thing you need to do is step out. Trust me in that and you'll get step two on the way. If we can do that, we can do great things for God. Let's stand up and we're going to pray together.